Coming to you from the mountain fortress of pop culture. You're listening to Time to Talk. Let me tell you, people are mean to each other, but no voices are as mean as our own voices are. Yes, you are in the fortress of pop culture, where we heroically fight to keep pop alive. In a world filled with... Uh, uh, Chad, wait for this list, okay? You're going to like it. In a world filled with horror, dread, nastiness, and black. But that's enough about Taylor Swift and her fan base. Ah. We are here today. <laughs> <laughs> to learn, I'm here to learn at least. I don't know how I've never heard of this one. It just slipped through. Um, but I've just finished a few listens of Paula Abdul's Head Over Heels album. It's a generally unoriginal little piece of work that curiously comes with an instruction manual that allegedly teaches you how to be sexy. It's quite strange. I am joined by <laughs> our Chad and our Sarah today to walk through this one. G'day, both of you. Hello. Good to have you on the line. Now, I know that it's already controversial because you both love this album, and so I have been dedicated. I went and listened to it. Uh, But before we get into it, Chad, how's your single going? Uh, Well, it's not out yet, but it's going really, really well because it comes out the 11th. So I'm super excited for Horizon to come out. Perfect. Exciting. Congratulations. Thank you, Sarah. And Sarah, people may remember you from such podcasts as Madonna's Music. I think you were in yes. that one, right? Yeah, I did music. I did American Life. Um, you know, I you know I always come with the controversial opinions, Tim. So <laughs> it's no surprise I'm here. <laughs> you were on the ones I wasn't on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! No way. I'm that glad to be on one time. with you now. Yeah, finally. Yeah, it was. It's been a long time, Sarah. And you know, we actually we get we do get messages about you um, because people, when they listen to our older podcasts, they still think maybe we just recorded them recently because podcasts have no life, like they like yeah, no expiry date sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. We, from time to time, get people saying, "Are you getting Sarah back on the show?" Oh There's, my God, really? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. That's so nice. Yeah. Oh, thank you to everyone then. So it's good to have you on. Okay, so listen, this album. I mean, Chad, even the title's wrong. I just don't get this. I really don't. I mean, <laughs> let, let, we'll go back a step. I'll have my rave, and then I'll then I'll be quiet and let you defend it. The, we have this yeah. amazing album that we spoke about in the last podcast, um, Forever Your Girl. And I absolutely loved Crazy Cool. I remember that single coming out, and I was like, this is, because that is a phenomenal song. But the title, why Head Over Heels? There's not even a track called Head Over Heels. There's no theme linking it to that expression. And I've got to say, it also seems a little crass when you consider that it was a series of falls that actually contributed to her lifetime of chronic pain. What was she thinking? Yeah, I have no idea. Um, I actually have no idea why it's called that. I've never questioned it, but I, I just have... This album's been in my life for so long that I never questioned it. But, I've... yeah. You what do you think, ahead. Sarah? I, I feel like I, I was also questioning it because I was like looking at interviews and like trying to figure out why she called it this. But for me personally, it like when you go through this album, it's kind of like a wild card in a way where it goes from fast to slow and like fast yeah. being all in your head and then slower getting on your heels to be more grounded, you know? So mm. that's that's how I interpret the album at least. She's got some weird titles, right? Because you were the one that introduced me to uh, her unrecorded fourth album that I was just like researching before this because you mentioned it. And um, it was supposedly going to be called Politics of Love, which is a terrible title. Politics instead of politics. Yes. Oh, give me <laughs> yeah, right. literally. I don't know. That's what she wanted yeah. to call her fourth one, which never came out. So. Oh, well, thank God for that. Politics. <laughs> oh, no. 
Yeah. It was also going to be like an album recorded with Nile Rogers, and she was doing some recordings in 97 and then that got scrapped. And then I think in 2001 is when she came up with that title. I think she was like at Virgin <laughs> Records at that point. So, But she's not even a political figure, so I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> she shouldn't be allowed to name her own albums, but the first two albums have incredibly iconic, amazing names, so... So take me through it. When was this released? What's it all about? Um, what can you what can you educate me in here? Well, well it was released like June 13, 1995. Um, it was known as a comeback album at the time because she took a break from music. Um, and she she stated it in 94 that she was taking a break from music when then months later she started recording new music again. <laughs> It was after her divorce from that Italian man. I don't remember. Emilio Estevez. Yeah. Him. Yeah. And, and her bulimia stuff. Yeah. I find it's my favorite actually of her albums, if I'm being honest. Um, just because it's so different. I find it to be experimental, R&B, pop and funk, and a bunch yep. of different genres. I think that was what she liked doing. And other elements combined, and that's what I think the beauty of this album is. Yes, totally. I'm going to back you up on that. I love this album. I think it's great. <laughs> it may not... I think hearing it now... You you heard it for the first time now, mm. which is totally different than hearing it in its heyday of the mid-90s, when it was actually edgy and so cool. And the production value is incredible. Her vocals are incredible. I mean, there's a lot to love on this album, but... I think it may not have aged as well as her other works, um, all things considered, because it was so different than, you know, it was such a uh, experimental, like you said, Sarah. I, I think as well, like for me, like I didn't, I don't think it's necessarily like it aged that badly because to me, I this comes off as more of like a timeless album, in my opinion. Um compared to our others where I don't, when I listen to this, I don't know what era I'm really listening to. But then again, as well, the mid nineties for music was a confusing era in general. And I feel there is some confusion fused into this album. Um, whereas her other two prior works, you can tell are eighties albums or early nineties albums, you know, what time right. period they came from. Whereas this, you don't really know. I could pick the year exactly on the dot i picked 95 because it sounds like a, a, a pretty pale carbon copy of everything that was going on around that time it feels like they've lifted the sound of that year and tried to infuse it through but they just haven't pulled it off that's what it sounded like to me i could hear bedtime stories i could hear janet mm. i could hear jeremy jordan i could hear every person of around that time which is not a criticism because that's what you do you try to be of the yeah. time but in terms of it aging um, look, I, I've got a problem with that in general with music. I don't think music really ages anyway. But I can, in terms of being timeless, which is what you said, I don't agree because I could I picked the year. Okay, <laughs> there's parts of it that feel timeless. I, I, it's hard to put into words though. But like, my love is for real is one of my favorite songs of Paula across any of her albums. I just think it's so amazing. The video is like a tour de force. It's like incredible. She looks like a million bucks. I mean, there's there's definitely some high points to the album. Yeah. All right. Do you want a yeah. visual, which is going to probably gross you both out? Go for it. <laughs> yeah, go. <laughs> They're like, no thanks. Um, yeah, I. It's winter time here. And yeah, I just got right under the dunas and put this on a really awesome speaker. And I pulled out notes on my phone and just was listening to this, playing a few games, doing a little bit of work. And I listened to this three times over this morning. Wow. And um, yeah, so I've got notes in front of me. So we can do track by track if you'd like. Sure. Yeah. All right. Let's Crazy cool. Uh, this, I was obsessed with this when it came out. Like this is crazy cool. Like sometimes you come up with your title as a writer of music and you, you make the song live up to the title and i think that's probably what they did she probably wanted a crazy cool song or whoever wrote it and that's what they've come up with this is it's so awesome it's got lots of curiosities in it it's it doesn't 
it's not too repetitive. It takes you off into slightly different places. The production is amazing. The video clip from memory is all blue. And I think she had a blue disco stick, maybe. I'm trying to remember. This is going back a long time. Yeah, a cane. She has that, um, the like shorter hair in this, yes, which she hasn't the... had before. Right. Yes. A little bit of, um, yeah, look, just very Janet inspired too, yeah. I thought too, the look at least. So that was, that's my take on Crazy Cool. I'm obsessed and I'm just looking up now. There are a million mixes, which I'm so excited to go and listen to today. I never knew there were mixes of this song. Yeah, I, this is my like favorite Paula song actually ever, to be honest. Like it's just one I can just play forever and ever. And they're like on my like Spotify list. It's like the most played song for like 2019, 2020, because <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just enjoy it. And I, I think my favorite mix is just the single mix in general. I prefer it more so over the album version. And um, like you said, like, the video is just so beautiful. It's that beautiful, like blue aesthetic around. And it's also um, more of like sexy Paula. And that's like, I feel like this is like the sexiest she gets in her music. And um, she, this was this song, this video, I believe was banned on MTV what? for her pulling. She was like, cause she was like pouring like beer over her breasts and stuff. Oh, champagne, God. right? Yeah. champagne. Popping the cork and, you know, <laughs> the whole visual. Yeah. How scandalous. How awful. As if we all have yeah. that. And then her, of course, like dancing around the pole and stuff. And um, there, it was, it was funny. It's funny. The funniest performance of it is when she performs it on the Nickelodeon's Big Help, this song. And she still has like the cane and everything. But then mm-hmm. um, there's parts of the song that are like censored out for it. Chad, I've got to say, every uh, sexy in inverted commas female pop act of the 90s has done this move in a video clip or a live performance when they're trying to denote sexiness. It involves right. taking something very long and phallic, putting it between your legs, holding it mm-hmm. at the front and at the back, and then gyrating over it. Every one of them yeah. have done it and comes up in spades here, doesn't it? Oh, it does. I I'm immediately recall Madonna in Erotica at, oh, at yes. the opening of Girly Show Tour with the crop where she kind of does that. <laughs> As well, which was a few years before this one, but I love this music video as well. I love the song, but I really love the music video. And I think like her cleavage is amazing. There's a great look where she has long extensions and she's got like the extreme smoky eye and uh, she looks awesome in it. Um, She looks like in really great shape. So I'll go back to my visual for you both. Then we skip to track two. Now, I have a feeling that this must have been big. Can you give me the name so that I can find it? My Love is my for love Real. Is my love it is was the real. only top 40 single. It peaked at number 28 on Billboard Hot 100. Okay, so I'm, I'm listening to this album in prep for this. And I must admit, I'm really, like, even Crazy Cool, it sounded like because I haven't heard it in years it was like this is phenomenal track two comes on and it starts right with this mystical maybe Egyptian or Middle Eastern it's oh god I just thought this album's going to be a corker because this is no it was goosebumps and I'm like okay I'm so glad these guys have put me onto this and then it then it drops into the track and I go, and I almost leapt out of bed. And if I wasn't so old and my back and all that, I probably would have. <laughs> I had one of Paula's canes. And and I went, this is Janet Jackson's if. What is she doing? This is a disgrace. Oh, this is I absolutely never... devastating. You could sing if over the top of it. It is the same production, the same beat. You can literally sing if over it. And doesn't the, isn't the word if in the title of this? What's What's it called again? Sorry. My love is for real. My, My love, love is, is for, for real. real. Okay. Well, I think she uses the word if in it then somewhere. And I'm like, this is absolutely <laughs> outrageous. I mean, I'm a huge fan of both of those songs. And I listened to both of those songs all the time in the 90s. And I never made that connection. So I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't hear it. I, I can now that you say it, but I don't think it was that obvious. I mean, oh, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, Maybe I'm just either. too in love. <laughs> But maybe I'm just too in love with this song and this video. But um, yeah, I don't hear. And do you know what's even worse, Chad? All she did to to make it 
slightly different from if was they just just a few little you know those eyedroppers with ointments and stuff she just added a little bit of erotica in there that's all and <laughs> that's how they got this well it's like you said it's middle eastern and and if was like a whole japanese aesthetic in the video which i know not not sonically but in the video and um but the beat yeah definitely i can hear it in the beat. yeah Sarah, I've got to say, this has always amused me because I love pop music and I take it actually quite seriously when it's done well. But I've always had this little idea of when there's, um, like in erotica, those um, yearning sounds in the background and there's yearning sounds in this track as well. I always try to, I can't help it and I shouldn't because it's it's wrong, but I imagine them in the studio doing them and I think it would be quite amusing. Like, How do you think they get those... All that sort of stuff. Like, how would you well, take yourself seriously with everyone in the mixing box and you're in a little glass chamber and they go, right, you're on. And you have to do that. I feel, honestly, I feel like they're in their own element. <laughs> I don't, I feel like they just ignore it. You'd have to like do this blindfolded, I feel like, <laughs> to be honest with you. Like on those types of songs, like Erotica and Throb, especially, um yeah on this one it was done by another vocalist right. named Ofra Haza who did those types of vocals on here this wasn't Paula doing it oh. yep this was more like a featuring oh. because she was not just a session singer Ofra was like a Grammy award winning oh. Israeli singer uh, um you know, really known in not in the US, but in other parts of the world. So her name's like on there and stuff. It's not like they're trying to, but I think the casual listener just assumes it's Paula, actually. Wow. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't have known. That's for sure. One of my all time favorite music videos in history. It's mm. got to be in my top five. It's amazing. Yeah. It's like a movie. Like it feels uh, like done in, I believe it was filmed in Morocco. Yeah, it's so cinematic. It was filmed in Morocco. You can find some like behind the scenes stuff, which I'm sure you guys have seen. But for anyone listening, there's some cool like making of stuff out there on YouTube and stuff. But it's extremely cinematic and had, you know, actors, characters. And Paula had done a lot of choreography for movies, you know, like Coming to America and, and other movies. Yes. So she was well versed in choreographing these like big, lush um, scenes for back, lack of a better word for like, um, you know, for just for the camera. So I think it was like a match made in heaven. And uh, the song is awesome for a video. And she looked amazing. And I always thought at the time, she kind of looked like Carmen Electra a little bit in the video. Um, I don't know, but she's just beautiful in it. I mean, she is, ridiculous. And like, um, I think it's honestly like her best video because it's just the production value is very high in it. Yeah. Um, I appreciate the um, cultural implications as well from her own background, which adds like a bit of a personalized touch to it. Yeah. It was also directed by Michael Hussman, who did the Take a Bow music video by Madonna. Wow. I'll say something controversial. My Love is For Real is a better music video than Take a Bow. Ooh. <laughs> it, it's that good. And to, for me to say I something's better that. than a Madonna video... That's like super high praise, but I, I just, I, it's way cooler. I'm, I'm a Madonna like stan myself. So I, and I love Take A Bow. It's one of my favorite songs, but I can't, I agree with that just because there's just so many more elements to this music video and the choreography is amazing yeah. as well. So, well, if I any of you that. out there are like me and haven't seen this video clip or know this song inside out, we have been inspired to go and YouTube it now. I can tell you, I can't wait to go and see it. Sounds amazing. Better than Take a Bow. I'm going to be coming back to you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't wait for you to see this. You have to let's pause and you can go watch it right now. <laughs> I, I just want to know were any bulls harmed in the making of this video? None. No, there's no bulls. Oh, well, it's even better already. Then. Only men. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sounds intriguing. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great track. I'm just looking um, a few bits and pieces up while you guys are talking. And she says, the quote she said is, I was in this period, I was so sad. I just needed to be filled up. It was like I was trying to mm. fill this big, empty hole. 
which is a rather unfortunate choice of words, I've got to say, but I think I take the sentiment. <laughs> well, I remember at the time I was a huge, uh, st- still a s- super huge fan of hers and couldn't believe that she had a new album coming out. But I remember being in the supermarket and seeing that a lot of the coverage of the album was way overshadowed by like her coming out with the bulimia story, which I think is is an important story. And um, all of that, but it just totally overshadowed the album because they kind of it seemed like the stuff of her that was more tabloid was getting picked up and not the actual art, like the album, the content. When stars talk about things like bulimia and and things like that, does it resonate with the fan group at all? Do people relate? Is, I don't know, eating disorders and stuff like that? Yeah, I feel like people weren't talking about it as much. And actually, she should get some credit for being one of the first to really come out. So Princess Diana, right, actually, uh, so many, anorexia was sort of well known, just in the general public domain I'm talking about. Bulimia was quite a, most people hadn't even heard the word at this time. Everyone knows it now. At the time, it was like, what, what's bulimia? A lot of people were like, what's that? And how is that different from anorexia? Princess Diana, mm-hmm. in her interview, acknowledged bulimia. And then all of a sudden, you know, there was a public reference to it. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. She, Paula Abdul, was one of the first to bring this topic up. Especially in music. I can't think of another female artist. And I, I feel like it was, like I said, a distraction, but also... Just it wasn't a flattering story. And in a way, I think it was consumed more as like gossip than it was as something that would help other people and people would relate to and, and I guess learn from I mean, hopefully it did help some people because I think that was her goal. But I just saw it as more of a tabloidy thing of people being like, Oh, you know, because there were those stories about her struggling with weight or being overweight. And then now, this bulimia story is coming out and yeah. I think like when an artist like puts out like a personal like story like this, um, usually it's just like they, sometimes they want it for the moment or sometimes they want to bring it into their art somehow. But usually people are attracted to scandal more so than artwork itself. And that's like, for example, with like erotica era with Madonna, people were more, more with like the sex book scandal and what she's doing in there rather than the music itself. And that can be problematic. And I think that's what's going on here a lot, because when you look at the interviews from this era, a lot of them have to do with bulimia, but never about the work itself. We move to track number three, and to me, this is the first mistake on the album. The The complete ripoff of track two didn't overshadow the fact that it's a great track. I love track one and two on this album. Track number three, it's absolutely bizarre and the biggest mistake so far on the album because you don't take the listener from track one and two, dramatic, cool, sexual, sophisticated really, and then you take it to this you go to the you know some looney tunes fun parlor all of a sudden you're like what the hell this is so jarring i'm i'm on a journey and i i think i know where paul is heading then all of a sudden you're in this crazy cuckoo house i i love that it's weird that it's not that you don't know why we're here um it was a song that i didn't like at first either but over time i i grew to love it i think it's a fun just dance track um I love the vocals of Color Me Bad in this as well. Um, as for the music video, I find it to be just like kind of like a cheap music. Yeah, this was oh, her yeah, last no. single, actually. The, the third and last, worse. yep. Yeah, Ugh. and it had a music video, too. Yo, crazy people. This, what about, <laughs> I mean, what about yeah. All About Feeling Good? There's track number three, if you wanted to reorder this. All About Feeling Good, track hmm. number three, done. I, I don't I think it's kind of cool um like what Sarah's saying that it's such a mixed bag of an album like you have all these different sides to her and to me that speaks to her being more sophisticated at, by this point because this is really like a funky song that's how I see it is is way more like R&B way more funk and that was never my thing was always more the dance stuff but I respected it as solid in this other genre and it was just kind of cool to see a little bit more hip hop or something else come in. It's just, it's a fun song. 
that um, is it's kind of mindless in a way. I also love the the colors she wore. She only performed this once ever on the Tonight Show with Jay Leno. It was never performed on her residency. It's the only single that I think she's ever performed only once ever. And it would the choreo was really weird for it. Um, I think they were also she, the reason why this was picked as a single too was that Color Me Bad was featured in it. So they were trying to. She was trying to like capitalize on the fame of Color Me Bad in a way. And because the album was already have not as high charting as before, she was hoping maybe this would bring it up. Track number four, Love Don't Come Easy. Now, this is what I meant when I said Jeremy Jordan knockoff. It's And by the way, when I'm saying all these things, I actually think every song, there's no bad songs on this album per se. I just think some of them are a little bit um, contrived and, carbon copy of of the 90s style this has got a bit of a guatemalan influence here and there um yeah but it's it's nothing special though is it i like this one a lot and um i like it a lot more than um ain't never gonna give you up um i really like the lyrics of this and the story that it tells like it i really got down with it for some reason i just really like the lyrics um, the way the lyrics are delivered. Um, so for me, it's all about like the lyrics and vocals in this. Oh, but what story um, does it tell? Well, I, like, like they're at the cantina. She she's watching the guy dance. She's thinking of what you know it would be like to be with him. And but the way it's said and the way it's described and the lyrics that are chosen are are so evocative that it's like it really puts you in that room with them. Um, it's it's a fun song and everything. Um, it's one I, I, I don't really go out of my way to listen to. It's more of like an album track to me, just in my opinion, but it's not one I like dislike or anything. Um, it was also, I also heard that Red's, that it, this was apparently a a fourth single contender. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't know if that would have been the choice, but there's some cool little like instrumental audio things going on where it like goes into like twenties music or something for a hot minute. Yes. And I just thought that was creative and cool. And all of those influences, cause I noticed that too, little, lots of uh, flapper music, the twenties and stuff like that. I felt like that was a deliberate reference to dance of that day too. Um, and she's a dancer. Yeah. That, that was my interpretation yeah. of that, I have to say. So this before I was trying to say, doesn't she use the word if on that ripoff song, track number two? Um, this was where I, my mind was blown, completely blown. Not only did she, she rip it off, it was later. She has a song called If I Were Your Girl. Unbelievable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what I was That's trying true. to think of. I was oh. like, are you serious? You rip it off in another track and then you secretly <laughs> throw in the name of it later. This is a conspiracy. I'm telling you, there's something going a on. Rip off she, didn't rip know, off. <laughs> she didn't know what Janet was doing. She, oh, she's in her it. own world. Oh, come on, Chad. She choreographed the woman. <laughs> I know. No, cut you're her, right. Cut her hair, smoky eyes. You know, she just was actually just looking through the Janet fan club magazine, I reckon, when she made this album. <laughs> I never thought that once. It's amazing that you you're yeah you're ruining yeah, the you, album for me tim <laughs> yeah you just like mind blow me because i never thought about that until today now i'm never gonna see th- certain songs the same again tim well, like, this, <laughs> why a podcast like this always works well when you've got someone who hasn't heard it before because you get that fresh interpretation <laughs> yep. it's interesting with ballads i like that i don't know why this is the case but often with um ballad well, not but this not quite a ballad if i were your girl but there's often fewer writers, either one or just two. And and here, like, she's got a dozen writers on every song or half a dozen. On track five, it's only two people put this together. This is a nice song, I guess. It's mid-tempos. One thing I did notice about this track is, though, <laughs> poor old Paula, she had, you know, if there's a dial from one to ten about how much you want to alter your voice to make sure it sounds good, she's got the knob turned right up to ten on this one. Really? I think it sounds pretty natural. Oh, no. I was going to say it's her best vocal on the album, but oh well. well. Yes, and that's why. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I think it's because of her high note in it. It's really good. 
I didn't think there was anything on her voice either. Like <laughs> I, I never thought that, but I never that never went to my mind with this song. Leave us a comment, people. Have I been scandalous? <laughs> Am I wrong? I'm not saying it's for Coda, like Cher or anything like that. I'm, I'm just saying that there is absolute, like, sophisticated auto tune on this, like, and reverb, like you wouldn't believe. All that stuff had like just come out like this year, so I mean, you could be right, totally. But um, I, when Paula, you you Paula had never Jack, heard this before, and the other reason that I know that it's it's up high, if I'm going to be honest, is because I've seen her sing live, and I've I, she is a good singer, she's adequate, she's fine, but she can't sing like you can. On this is beautiful, it's beautiful, isn't it? Like you say, her best it vocals is on the it album. Is. Were you? I, I was impressed with her vocals on this coming off the first two albums because I think it's. A step up for her mm-hmm. i mean did you get that sense at all or were you just like no it's just studio magic I, exactly I've, i was thinking it, it is beautiful i'm not I'm not arguing that point at all but it's too beautiful for paula to have achieved it without some assistance i don't know if i agree with that completely <laughs> certainly there's some assistance but i think that she was only a few years out from like spellbound um spellbound was what 92 so this is like three four years later um, from Spellbound, and I think that she was still like super in her element vocally. And then, as we know, because of a lot of injuries and other problems, she kind of she's lost her voice, basically, which mm-hmm. she even um, says. But um, so I just always held this as a time capsule of of the peak of <laughs> her sorry. vocals of her whole career, <laughs> and especially the line when she says, "I don't know why you're there because something isn't right," and she goes all the way up high. I just love that. Like sometimes I'll just rewind that one uh, line (laughs) and I'll be like, I just need to hear that one more time because it's so good. This was actually the one that she was going to be the fourth single. The one before was just a contender, but this was supposed to be the fourth single. It was just canceled because of low charts on the previous one. We move through to the next track, which is so odd. This is the most odd, odd thing I've heard in a long time. Now, hang on. I'm going to ask you. Sexy. A this might be a bit personal, right? The, the song's called uh, Sexy Thoughts, right? And it's it's basically an instruction manual as far as I can tell. Um, <laughs> Chad and Sarah, it might get personal. Feel free not to answer these questions. But have you ever been, you know, in one of those romantic moments and you're, you know, showing a bit of shoulder, a bit of leg? bit of this bit of that you know you're, you're doing you're doing the dance of love right and according to paula though she says if you love yourself you should be first of all throwing your hands in the air which i thought mm, yeah that's a, that's a bit odd so you're in the the shoulder and the leg and now all of a sudden you're doing jazz hands okay fair enough I'm, i'll take that i'll try that i'll try it paula I'll, I'll give it a go i'm not quite convinced but i'll try it but then she went too far then she goes if you think you're sexy <laughs> as you move around that bed start clapping your hands like you just don't care <laughs> oh gosh i i see them in the club though they're dancing and she's like if if you if you think you know if you love yourself throw your hands in the air and now if you think you're sexy clap your hands it's it's all about like being in the club to me in that moment but well, okay, it's, in the it's club, a- I, will, I will go back and listen to it in the context of a club. But I can guarantee if you followed this instruction manual in the bedroom, <laughs> she's out of the bed and she's in a cab within 15 seconds, I can tell you. Oh it's just not happening. It really isn't. First of all, it's the, also- hands, the hands in the air, she's going, yeah, okay. And then you started to clap your hands like you just, she's out of there. You're done. You're cooked. It's also the one that if your parents are around, you have to like quickly, you know, get up and Turn skip this one. Yeah, because it gets a little. Uh, there's definitely a, a, a heavy sexual interlude, like toward the three quarters of the way through. That, Tell us uh, about that. I can't quite recall it. It's, how sexual it's not parent it. friendly. It's just a bunch of like it slows down. It gets real <laughs> breathy, and she starts to like coo, and you know, I guess you know get off so it reminds me of throb by janet yeah it's it turns it turns explicit basically and oh i think she was trying like i'm not that good girl anymore type of thing can i stand up for parents here like you know that you know we've had sex and we don't mind and we're not scandalized that easily like you don't have to <laughs> skip it we've been there and my parents that. were conservative you, though doesn't matter like they were still there like come i on. didn't have a cool parent like you too <laughs> yeah <laughs> i believe me megs would not describe me like that sometimes amateurs know best 
and the lack of professionalism is all you'll hear on the Time to Talk show. Join Tim and his panel of guests as they wade their way through a range of news, music, and pop culture treats. Time to Talk, the show hosted by amateurs for unprofessional listeners. The album asks you to completely surrender to Paula's personality, right? And she has a lot of silliness. She has she's has a lot of fun. There's a lot of those different sides to her that if you're not willing to commit, then you're just going to be like, this is cheesy. I, I can't. Or you can dive in and like really go there with her, which is what I did. I don't know. I'm not going to take this song this song as an instruction manual to the bed. I'm just going to take it as an, as an as an instruction manual for the club. Okay. Cuz I don't think this would work in the bed. No, no. it wouldn't. I can assure you of that. Oh, wow. Well, but anyway, at least if people haven't heard it, they're intrigued now. You've got to go and listen to it. I I I listened to this. In fact, I'm going to this is one of the tracks I will go and listen to again. Track 7, The Choice Is Yours. Yeah, this is this is an okay song for me. It's not one I like. It's only one I listen to when I'm listening to the album in full more so. Um, I need mm-hmm. to be in the mood for this, I find, more so. and right. But it's like a very 90s R&B type of slow jam. Yeah, I feel the same way. Like the R&B stuff is just, it's just not my taste as much. So that's just a side of the album that I think... I, th- I respect, but it's just not going to be my the ones I listen to the most. Ho down. Now, when I saw the title, <laughs> I was really worried. Uh, and my worries were confirmed when I listened to it. No, <laughs> this is a great song. <laughs> this is actually one of Paula's favorites, I think, off this album. Because she wished she made this into a single. She said it actually recently on instagram last year that she wishes she made this song a single Well, i understand that because she's a heavily medicated woman this is silly this is eccentric it's got a 50s horn throughout the whole thing (laughs) it's i mean look it's fun it is fun and that's what pop's all about so i enjoyed it i'm not gonna lie now at least it didn't have a country twang thank god for that oh i love the lyrics in this the lyrics are so amazing in this and they're really fun to like recite and i have a friend i'm not going to do it on this podcast tim so don't get any (laughs) ideas but i have a friend that we he would always like want to um spit these lyrics and i will join in and stuff but they're they're amazing lyrics this is one of my favorite tracks off the album i also i love that it's also sonically so interesting um it like you said before it like has those like 50s like horn and stuff and i think it's one of the more experimental songs and um i i go back to this one all the time and i wish i wish i could only imagine a music video for this wow it sounds like you have both replicated this in your homes with choreography (laughs) (laughs) i i Definitely. I've tried to figure out what that would be and everything. Um, usually when I think of this album, it, invo- it involves the cane from Crazy Cool. I brought it back here and I feel there's a way to do that. So. Oh, that was man. a private moment, Tim. You weren't supposed to see me when I was doing that. very graphic very graphic uh under the influence now you know i would say how dare she because kylie has a song called under the influence but kylie's under the influence is from um some guy who i shouldn't say some guy he's very famous it just uh escapes me right now so yeah under the influence uh look you know the the first of all there's uh, it's not related to the rest of the track but the very first few bars of this remind me so much of a tina arena song in fact it's almost identical someone needs to tell me it was driving me nuts i was wondering if it was if i didn't love you Mm. just the very first not even two seconds it's exactly the way some song by tina opens uh but look then it takes a funky twist you know this is not bad but i have to say it is one of the most repetitive pop songs i've ever heard one of the big flaws of a pop song is you know, never let the ear get tired. You you take a twist, you take a turn, come back to that awesome chorus, If you know, in the best case scenario. Here, she does not yeah. follow that rule. This is so repetitive. If she says whatever the line is one more time, in my notes, I've got, if she says it one more time, I'm turning it off. That's all I wrote <laughs> while I was under the doona. <laughs> 
this was a favorite of mine as a kid. I don't know why, but when I first heard the album, I, I gravitated to this one, maybe because it was less R&B. But then hearing it older, I'm like, why did I love this song so so much? <laughs> I, I think it's a good song, but it's not a favorite on this album for me. But uh, there's there's elements in there that are really cool, like certain moments and stuff that are really neat. The like, there's parts of it that rem- that feels like a Nirvana song or like a grunge rock type of song, and it feels like there's ch- there's like chanting going on and stuff. <laughs> and um, I, but it's repetitive lyrically, which is why I understand why people don't like it. But I I still go back to the song every now and then. But um, it's only for like a limited time. Written by somebody called Worthy Davis. Not so worthy, Davis, I'm afraid. So, yeah, sorry, that's a completely dad joke and you don't have to laugh. At it. Uh, I never knew it. Uh, now, tell me, here's, here's a, a further image for you. I'm nestled into my pillow by this stage, completely content, like a big cinnamon donut in, wrapped up and all nice. I never knew it comes on. Bolt upright. Did I hear Paula make a swear at the beginning of this or not? Like it's a sweet little song and you wouldn't expect it, but does she use the F-bomb slightly near the beginning of this song or not? No, I don't think so. Does she? No. No, I don't. I don't. I don't remember that actually. <laughs> Maybe I, I was dreaming. Interpret it as- <laughs> this is quite embarrassing <laughs> then because, yeah, I went, what the hell? Did she just like use the F-bomb quite harshly? Okay, fair enough. She doesn't. But it's it's a cute song overall. It's not everyone's cup of tea, I understand, but um I I don't I need to go listen back because I don't think she did it like an F bomb. No. On I, this, and I don't see why she would on this song. She has like a hard F in maybe now now that's hard for me to believe or something like that, maybe toward the beginning. But um yeah, so it's one of the ones that I don't remember when I think of the album. Yeah. I understand that. And it's like, if there's already like so many ballads on the album that it's just sort of, it's not one of the ballads that stands out. It sounds like another song we've already heard. Get your groove on. Now, this is good. I like this one. Yeah, this is so much fun. I feel like this could have been a single for sure. Yeah. Um, I feel, okay, I feel it's like a more developed version of sexy thoughts because yeah. I feel like sexy thoughts was the preview show and this is the main show. This is the real deal. So it's like more developed and everything. You're waiting for it to take off and it never quite does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Missing you. This is a soft song and absolutely a hundred percent could have been off Danny's debut album. It's would have fit perfectly on there. What do you make of missing you? It's, it's okay. <laughs> I like it a lot. Um, it's probably my favorite of these last tracks that we're going to talk about. Um, and it makes me, some of the ballads are kind of similar. Like you have, if I were your girl and then you have missing you and then you have cry for me. And all three of those are similar theme and also similar like tempo and similar instrumentation. So I think that's kind of not the best strategy maybe, but yeah. I think of, of those three missing you and, um, or of those, of the four that are ballady, If I Were Your Girl and this one, Missing You, are my favorites. The second last track on the album is called It's All About Feeling Good. And it's interesting that you sort of say that the second half of this album is stacked with the poorer product. Because I, I really like this is the one that I would have... The, the whole order of this album is totally out of whack. Totally. I wish they'd, they reordered it. But anyway, this one for me should have been the track three. This is, this is again, one, like you said, Chad, this is one that I don't really care for either. It's one I skip. Um, and just because it's, I, I find it to be very basic and I'm just compared to the rest of the album where there's more infused experimental elements in each of the songs. Right. This one, I just... I, I'm just tired at this point, and I don't, and I don't know if it's just because we're on track number thirteen. If this was yeah. maybe at a different part of the album, yeah, maybe you're maybe. right, Tim. They should have put this in the beginning. Yeah, I mean, it's a groove. It definitely is is yeah. like a good time to listen to it. But for me, it again, it's almost like it never takes off. Or maybe it's just the whole R and B thing that is not my thing as much. But um, yeah, I think they shouldn't have put it between 
two ballads. Well, actually, yeah. that, and that's interesting because even though I think it's completely wrong, what they were trying to do is your classic 80s, 90s pop strategy, which is have quite an upbeat second last song and then finish off with something soulful and meaningful, which brings us to Cry For Me, uh, the, the last track. This is, look, this is Janet mixed with Olivia Newton-John, and I'm going to, in a minute, play the part of the song that is right out of another track that is really familiar to me, but I can't nail it, so I'm going to get you guys to help me. But I, I really like this. I think it's a, a great ending for the song. It sounds like you're both not too big a fans of this one, though. Not for me personally. I just, I think it's kind of an unfortunate title a little bit. I don't know. That could just be me, but I don't just, I don't like the title of the song. And then the actual song itself, I think it's just an inferior ballad to those other ones for me. I think like I'm at, I actually enjoy this as a closer because I find lyrically, this is about spiritual growth. Like it's about, you no longer crying for someone else, but you're going to cry for yourself now and worry about you instead of worrying about someone else. When you are like deeply in love with someone, you only worry about their emotions, but you forget yourself. So I find that this is a good way to end because it's talking about spiritual growth. We just passed the bit too. Baby, I love you. That part. Oh. Oh. It's out of uh, Greece or something. God, it's annoying. Um, baby. Uh, the, the, the lines of the other song I'm thinking of are, Baby, I love you. Na, 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 na. I, I think I know what you're talking about, something. though. It's definitely a 70s track. I think it might be males. It might be like the Bee Gees. Anyway, I will I will solve that puzzle because that is only a personal Tim puzzle that nobody needs to be bored with in the podcast, that's for sure. My question to you both is this, what do you think of the cover? Because I was, I've, like I said, I've never seen this album in a record shop. I've never heard it. I've never had anything to do with it. I love the cover. I think it's great. I think it's beautiful. I love the Body black language, and white. By the way, body language much? If, if there's any yeah. highly people uh, <laughs> I definitely see that. Actually. Yeah. Well, this was first, though, right? Let's be clear. Oh, now listen. Yeah. You didn't have to point that out, Chad. That's uh, yeah. Mean. <laughs> yeah, but no, I love it too, and I love that black and white. It's extremely graphic. Like you have that high contrast, and I think she's showing off what is hopefully she's um, sort of broadcasting that she's in great shape, mm. but that she's also healthy in that area mentally and physically she for the first time maybe this so. stuff didn't she though chad the the, the um, yes what am i trying to silhouette say? Uh, the silhouette stuff but i'm more talking about that um construction site type of deal yeah, yeah. you get a little bit of that in cold-hearted when they're all dancing on the structure that looks like that and in many yeah. of her live performances there's there's that and plus you see it taken up by janet to a lesser extent too this um uh, because I'm not a very masculine guy, I'm trying to struggle with this, but like the mechanical, <laughs> construction-y, trade yep. type of deal. They industrial. Industrial, yes. that's the word. Thank you. Yep. Well, she and makes the is... most of it. It's not just a backdrop for her. This is her theatre. It's it's her stage, the the right. industrial stuff, isn't it? She often is... Yeah. Madonna does a bit of that in American Life performance on the Confessions Tour, I think it is. Yeah, it's quite a yeah. Yeah. popular she... theme. She definitely looks beautiful. It's definitely a beautiful cover. But for me, I always like when it's way more about like the glamour and the face and stuff like that. And you can't really get that from an image like this. So that's why I kind of like I think Spellbound is is a one of my favorite covers because like you're so drawn into her face and her eyes. And here it's a way more um, it's a peaceful expression she has, but it's also a little blank. So I don't know. Yeah, um, and a little bit maybe, I know it's slightly pre-Botox days, but you're, you're wondering, she's got a little bit of something going on there. I've got a question about the cover, though, that you can both help me with, I hope. Why are one of her socks falling off? Is it? Yeah. I didn't even notice that, I don't, to be honest. It's like somebody, I don't like, think so. if one of my kids went out the door like that, I'd go, hey, stop, hang on a second, come back. Pull up your socks. That's embarrassing. I. It's hard to tell. You can see I, she has like um like her leotard or whatever she's wearing 
ends, you know, before her ankle, and then she might have like dancer shoes on or something. Give us your give us your summaries. I well, she's performed um, crazy cool, and my love is for real. I believe yes. recently on her residency in twenty. 192020 so she's st- she still holds those songs close it's it's my it's my favorite because it's a weird um album that you don't know what it is and it you just have to keep listening and listening to it over again to have a different interpretation of it and that's what i love and i love all the experimental um past music influences as well yeah, I um so I love this album of course, but um I definitely now that we've gone track by track it does seem like there's songs like only half of it that I really gravitate to. I also think she's at the b- top of her vocals, right? I think Forever Your Girl is is good and then Spellbound is better and then this is her best work vocally and I think it's the last time that she was able to legitimately sing um this well you know due to trauma and injury and all that stuff unfortunately yeah and listen i'm so appreciative that you both got me onto this because much as i've said it's a little bit generic and i do i think it is it's still great like this is good a good pop offering to the pop gods as we say here in the fortress it really is this is a really good effort it's fun doesn't take itself too seriously I just want to say that I feel like they could have supported her more like the the studio and stuff or the record company. And I think at this point she was not cool anymore. Like she just wasn't considered to be culturally cool. And um, she had waited several years to make this. And I think people people had moved on in a lot of ways from what she was doing. And so I feel like they were kind of like letting it flop a little bit. What would you have titled the album if you could have picked an album track to title it? I think it would have been interesting if it was one of those two songs, My Love is For Real or Crazy Cool, because then you could have really gone in certain directions with like the theming and the promotion for it. I agree, like Crazy Cool, just because of the personality that they that there is within the album itself and the experimentation, because um, th- this album is crazy. Yeah. It's all over the place. And so I think that would fit it perfectly. And for me, I would have went with Paula straddling a hay bale, and it would have been called (laughs) (laughs) At least it's not politics, so. No. (laughs) That's so bad, isn't it? (laughs) Paula. (laughs) Terrible. Oh, dear. That's been fun, my friends. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. It was a grand return for Sarah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And we, we have to do Spellbound now. I'm going to hold it. Hold it. 